It is a center for higher learning. It is a place with centuries of secrets in its shadowed halls. This is where you have come to learn the mysteries of the cosmos. Welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast. They'll teach you things you can't unlearn. Brought to you by Cryptocurium.com. Hello, and welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast, Episode 57. This is the podcast dedicated to Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraft-related role-playing games. I'm Keeper Dan. And I'm Keeper John. Welcome, everybody. And I'm Keeper Chad. Fungluy mungluinoff waganaglafatagan. In this episode, we talk about a species you can encounter while slumbering peacefully safe and sound in your bed. Or not. And for the main topic, we're discussing some of our favorite sources for maps to use as scenario settings or inspiration. First, we're going to start off in their campus crier. Miskatonic University Campus Crier. Campus Crier's Miskatonic used student paper. Here's going to go through any feedback and news. This episode's recorded on June 1st, 2014. We found a link from yogsathoth.com that The Laundry has a new uh, game book coming out called Unconventional Diplomacy. That sounds cool. Yeah, looks pretty. Yeah, The Laundry is such a wonderful setting. The art on this looks really nice. I was just going to say I love the I love the cover art there. Yeah, Cubicle 7 does a really nice job on stuff that they put out. They they take a lot of pride in their licensed properties that they put a lot of love into it. It's such a great setting, I know. I would love to play it. Yeah. I don't have any laundry books, unfortunately. Maybe that's something no. I can fix at Gen Con. Oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, I do. I love the Cubicle 7 uh, production values and everything. I have their... Uh, I have all but one right now of all their uh, Cthulhu Britannica line. Ah, and, nice. Uh, and those books are they're just great. They're really good. <laughs> like one of the scenario titles here is Case Arson Sparkle Pony. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the, hook is, the hook is something weird is about to happen at the Burning Man Festival. So, a British, a very, very British uh, mythos spy organization is going to Burning Man. I love it. (laughs) I really wish that was a laundry novel. (laughs) Or at least one of the short stories, because that is brilliant. Yeah, it looks hilarious. 
Yeah. I, I really do want to play this. We should put that in the queue. I know we have lots of things to test, but I would love yeah. to play some. Yeah, get in line. There it goes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and we'd have to uh, get one of us to actually have the books. Indeed. Well, gee whiz, if you uh, take care of getting ownership of some uh, Gen Con, I elect yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> That would be kind of one of the tricky ones, though, because it does have such a very British sensibility. Well, it then would you, can, be... you can keep with an accent. How about that? I can't really do accents. <laughs> I dare you. But I, was, I was teasing. <laughs> it, would be, it would be kind of tricky for myself as a, uh, you know, strictly, you know, American person to, to actually get that feel. Correct. That would be a, a difficult part of it. I wonder if uh, Paul Cthulhu and the uh, and the Insmith House players are thinking about running uh, the laundry. That'd be kind of neat. I don't know. I'd like them to run it for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably not going to happen. But I like the idea. All right, let's keep moving here. We there's yet another new Kickstarter up, and we kind of oh have a connection gosh. to this one. Again. What? What? Yeah. Oh, oh, that one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Little thing. Goodman Game. Yes, Goodman Games. Uh, just uh, starting this weekend. Uh, Goodman Games kicked off the Age of Cthulhu Volume Eight Starfall over the Plateau of Lang Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, and what I like, what what I like, what Goodman Games has been doing is, and that this is a trend that they're doing with their this the second Kickstarter where they're doing this, where the product is not in jeopardy. It's not a Kickstarter to bring the product to 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 the light of day. It will be printed regardless. Uh, the Kickstarter is: Are we only going to do it as a soft cover or? Will we have a successful Kickstarter and have it printed as a hardcover? That's okay. all. So the the threshold, the goal for this Kickstarter is uh, relatively low compared to what you think of other Kickstarters. Uh, it's just got a three thousand dollar threshold, and uh, uh, at that point, it becomes printed as a uh, Sixty-four page, I think, uh, hardcover book. Um, and actually, if anybody is familiar with uh, other uh, other Goodman Games products, uh, I guess a few years ago they put out something called the Dungeon Alphabet. Hmm. And the Dungeon Alphabet is sixty-four pages, hardcover. And so, and I have a copy of that. So I'm like, wow holding this Dungeon Alphabet book, this is exactly what Starfall of the Plateau of Lang could be. Square bound, hardcover, I mean, it, it's exactly it. So, it's a it's a doable printing, you know, and, and it's nice, you know, even at only 64 pages. Uh, so, it's not going to be super thick or anything. Um, mm. And there's really, there's really only two uh, buy-in levels, and and each of these levels, you get a ton of stuff, and this is with none of the uh, add-ons or none of the stretch goals being achieved. 
for $7, you can get two Age of Cthulhu PDFs. One would be Starfall over the Plateau of Lang, and the other would be any any one other Age of Cthulhu adventure. So two PDFs for seven bucks. Uh, and then for uh, $25, uh, which is the, the main uh, level, I would think, for $25, you get a physical copy of uh, Starfall when it's published. You get a PDF copy of Starfall also, and you get a PDF copy of any other Age of Cthulhu adventure. So, I mean, for 25 bucks, you're getting a ton of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then all of the other Age of Cthulhu adventures are on sale at 25% off and are available as add-ons. Um, and those are the physical copies. So, um, and for the most part, being a uh, 25% off, most of those adventures are 10 bucks. Then there's only one of them that was uh, of a page count that it's going to be $12 on sale, but everything else is 10 bucks. And we've got several different uh, uh, stretch goals set up um, already uh, configured on the off chance that we get past the, uh, the base threshold of 3000. Uh, that's when the, those, uh, Stretch goals will kick in. Cool. But I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I think this will be fun. Yeah. Yeah, and there's some good uh, stretch goal things in here. Oh, some your Transatlantic Terror is actually wow, going to be in there, too. Yep, yep. So Transatlantic cool. Terror uh, is going to be published, as far as I know, it's, to, it's still going to be published in the uh, Gen Con program book that Goodman Games will, will publish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a stretch goal, we'll add it in to, uh, into this uh, Starfall of the Plateau of Lang as, in the back. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we're kind of developing um, at, uh, in the Age of Cthulhu line is uh, it's very much like what you've been doing, Dan, with your uh, uh, maps, is we're trying to give the players... A, a society, a group that, that yeah. they can belong to and be a reason to do investigations, do these global uh, investigations. Because um, that's one of, the, that's one of the, the hooks for uh, Age of Cthulhu is that it's a, a globe-trotting uh, set of adventures. Um, that by design, none of the adventures... Um, are solely located in Lovecraft country. Uh, you can start there, but you have to go somewhere else yeah. in the world. That's, that's just one of the little hooks for this. And um, so we needed a society that had a global footprint. And uh, so now we've got this uh, thing called the uh, uh, historical, uh, uh, now I'm thinking about it, I can't think of the name. Oh, that's a historical and archaeological society. And it's a, it's a global uh, uh group and so one of the things we'll have are business cards now we're going to have business cards that are pre-printed uh for the the five uh pre-generated characters that come with the game but we'll also have a blank one so characters can just photocopy those and it's just a neat little extra handout to have at the at the game table yeah that's really neat cool i like that and as a simple, memorable uh, 
link to be able to get to the new Kickstarter, uh, you can go to mu-padcast.com slash starfall, one word. And that's oh, just going to cool. forge you straight on over. Thank awesome. you. All right. And, what else have uh, we got? Well, there's a cool little thing that a forum member, uh, Flashback Juice, did that I meant to do it for last episode and then totally forgot to put it in the notes, so didn't think of it at the time. Uh, he took our opening that plays and translated it into Japanese. Oh, man. <laughs> it's and so it cool. it sounds so neat. I love this. And, in fact, also, uh, uh, member Magnus Nordlander, who was also our premier uh, person to pledge on our, our Indiegogo campaign, uh, he also had done a version into Swedish. He did? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, though. We've got two languages down. Yep. <laughs> great. I can play uh, Flashback Juice's version, which I have queued up here. より高度な知識を真似部場所暗い廊下の中何世紀もの秘密が眠っているうちの神秘を真似部ためこの地にたどり着いたミスケトニック大学ポッドキャストへようこそ Awesome! What I love that. That was uh, awesome. I love the ending there. Yoko so. Ah, thank you so much. That is, I love that. So totally and cool. And then I'm really looking forward to hearing Magnus's version. And a little addition here as I edit. Magnus actually had sent in a new version of the file that I can play. So here is the Miskatonic University podcast opening in Swedish. Det centrum för högre utbildning. Det är en plats med århundraden av hemligheter i dess mörka korridorer. Det är hit du har kommit för att lära dig universums mysterium. Välkommen Miskatonic Universitetets poddradio. De lär dig saker du inte kan förtränga. Thank you very much, Magnus. That was really, really cool. I love these. And if anybody else speaks other languages that you want to uh, translate our opening into, I would love to hear it and play it on the show, because that's just such a unique, cool thing. I mean, we know we have a, a fluent Spanish friend, Spanish-speaking friend in uh, Randall, um, so I'd love to see or hear this in, uh, yeah, in Spanish We don't well. need to call people out Indeed. by name, necessarily. Oh, sure. Well, Randall, maybe. Why not? He's That's right. He's the bud. <laughs> and we know we have a certain Finnish friend that yes. I, I am uh, calling out, but not by name. <laughs> <laughs> Chicken. Chicken. <laughs> Call him to the mat. 
Tony. <laughs> I but, could get uh, a, a French and an Indonesian. <laughs> that'd be cool. And, In the and... thread on the forum, I actually have a version of our uh, opening without the words. So it's just the music and the sound effects. So just go to the thread that will be linked in the show notes, and you'll be able to grab that and uh, have fun with it, guys. That's this is just such an amazing like side effect of of having the podcast that I would never have even conceived yeah. of. You know, I, I it didn't occur to me that anybody would uh, be interested in in doing the uh, the opening in other languages. It's just so neat. Oh, I know. I I'm just blown away by uh by our forum and the the interaction that we're getting with people. It's just fantastic. I love the uh the forum and our and our and our friends, you know, that 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 you know go there and the conversations that we have. It's just mm-hmm. it's exciting. I, I yeah. go there every day and uh and try and participate that's, in as many conversations as I can. That's good. I I personally don't have as much time as I would like. So yeah, you don't see me in there nearly as often, regretfully that my uh work schedule is kind of hectic and especially, you know, this last month I've been a little occupied with other things going on slightly. Yeah. But I'm, you know, thank you all so much for being part of this community. Totally. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and speaking of thank you, <laughs> yes, we finished out our Indiegogo campaign last night, and we are at three thousand six hundred ninety-two dollars. Oh man, awesome! Mind is explode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was. Wow. Thanks, guys. This is Yeah. We've been totally overwhelmed. Yeah. It's so so awesome. Yeah, and we squeaked past stretch goal number two. So we've yeah, got we a... get the dice. Yeah, the dice now. Yeah. And we yeah, get a second we're... a second movie commentary mm-hmm. track. Yep. Yeah, we still have to figure out scheduling to do the first one. So that's yes. gonna be on the way. So don't expect it well, let's see. Yeah, we, we are still deciding even what the title is going to be for the second one. We have a thread up on the forum where people are throwing out suggestions that, you know, we're not necessarily going to definitively go with that, with, with uh, the stuff in there. But there's some very cool ideas. Yeah, lots of overlap with ideas we've already had, so. Yeah, and then we're doing the floor plan with uh, Scott Dorward that he's writing up a history and plot hooks and stuff like that for a house that he chose out of my 1903 house plan book. That's exciting. Has anyone contacted Scott to say, we made it? <laughs> what? I, he's a backer, I think, on the oh, campaign. Uh, so yep. so he, he, got a, he got the email. Yeah. And so, Thanks, yeah, Scott, for is... being a contributor and a backer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no kidding. Wow. Yeah, I'm just all kinds of excited. Now comes the fun part of doing, like, the math. We've got scads of projects coming down the pike because of this, so... Mm-hmm. And our servers will be able to upgrade, and so... Yep. yep. Hopefully. I, I have to kind of budget things out a bit to see just what we have to work with. You know, after 
covering, you know, our Shipping, art commission yeah. from Ian, and then also, you know, we're paying for the replicas that we're getting through Cryptocurium and Joe. Right. Sure. And now dice. Lots of dice. So dice, many dice. 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 But d- dice is always a, a wonderful little add-on thing. And okay. I, I've been working with Chessex to get the dice made, and they've been terrific to work with. So I am looking forward to seeing those in person. All I've seen are the same pictures you guys have. Cool. Plus Can't the wait. prototypes that didn't come out quite as good. <laughs> the first draft. Yeah. Yeah, the early versions, you know, not quite so sharp. But that's okay. But yeah, we're we're thrilled about this. And don't forget, the alumni dinner, we're going to continue to accept people signing up for that until August 1st. So... If you go to mu-podcast.com slash dinner, there is a form there. Well, not really a form. It's Basically, it's our download store that I added this in as if the same way that you would do like a sponsorship, you basically add it to your cart. And it's the same price as it was on the campaign. And we've got 35 seats open. And so we... We'd really love to be able to do that. And we've got, can we say now, we've got five signed up, and, and if we get mm-hmm. five more, we sort of, is, is that break our even. actual threshold? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we'll do it for sure. 10 to 12 is what we need to break even and cover food. Yeah. And so, you know, another you know, five to seven people will take care of actually covering the cost of it, because renting a room at a restaurant for the night ain't cheap. No. But it's going to be just a lot of fun and i'm really thrilled about it and we should stress that that this is going to be a private party room we're going to be mm-hmm. set aside you know we're in the restaurant but not in general seating so uh it'll be a, a little bit more of an intimate place for people to uh meet and greet and hear each other you know as we have conversations and that kind of thing so um and actually i haven't i haven't told you guys this but uh, I'm actually trying to put something together that I'd like to bring to the dinner to uh, as a as a thank you for those that that come out. So, um, mm. Ooh, so fascinating. Yeah. Please, please come out. Please come out to the uh, to the meet and greet. Come out to the alumni dinner. We'd love to uh, to say hi and thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's going to be a lot of fun. So that will be available for you know a pretty good amount of time yet. So get in on awesome. that. Have you a real love of books and learning? I do. I do. You do? That's good. (laughs) That's good. Now follow me down the stairs. (laughs) You'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) I have books down here and candy. That's from, that's from like a 1950s thing I found on archive.org where uh, that's a, a whole thing about, do you want to be a librarian? <laughs> it's like an old instructional film. Nice. It's a great, it's, the whole thing is just amusing. I could have picked about 30 <laughs> samples from it. Uh, for our card catalog today, we've got the Silly Lovecraftian Text Generator, the Lovecraft right. Engine. 
What is this thing? This is weird. This <laughs> it is weird. It's something I found. It's just, this is ridiculous. You know, I mean, it's not a resource <laughs> for, to, for your game at all. Well, it might be. It's just, it, it takes Lovecraftian words and uh, click the button to begin, and you get um, a random description. For example, I just clicked it and got an anarchic winged tentacle, whatever that means. Mm. I got <laughs> that. Yeah, I got that gigantic, idiotic, fearful, brutish distortion. Nice. nice. That's a long one there. Yep, that's I impossible. The sure. shuffling, crawling, mildewed, roomy dazzle. Roomy dazzle? <laughs> yeah. I can I like only the... assume that they're talking about the uh, comic character. Right. Dazzler. The Dazzler. <laughs> She's like undead, shuffling, crawling, and mildewed and roomy. Oh God! Oh. Somebody, somebody, please illustrate that. <laughs> <laughs> I I got a good one. This is this one says a frog-like skeleton. Ah, that's so I like not, it. It's not a frog skeleton. It's frog-like. Ah, that's that's spherical infe- infection. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, this that is a angular uh, abysmal hound. Yep. <laughs> hey, that works. Uh-huh. It does work. The angular hound, hell yeah. A gibbering, overgrown, lurking organ. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. So there's a little toy for you. Yeah, exactly. It's uh it's a toy. It's a it's a way to waste some time on the internet as if there weren't already enough ways to do that. Mm. Dandy. For our Cryptocurium sponsorship this episode, I decided to point out uh, a one of the items on there that's one of the smaller and less expensive items that's also very nice and useful as a game prop. The Totem oh, of the Windwalker. Is that not nice. a cool-looking little thing? It is. Yeah. It's, it's a wicked, like a, like a skull-faced mask or something. And it's a it's a it's a uh, a necklace right it's it's on a leather mm-hmm. thong and and uh yeah it just looks really cool and the the face has got some sort of like thoughtful fearful tortured look with a yeah a rune on maybe the a forehead. little depressed yeah kind of frowny face looks to me like one of those ice um ice men you know that pe- uh mummified people who have been found you know ah, in the with the nose yeah. kind of collapsed, but still having skin on the face. Yeah, that would actually fit quite nicely. It's like some it's... kind of symbol on the forehead, too. Or... Yeah, mm-hmm. some sort of rune on the forehead. Uh, I like how it. Uh, there's a description that goes with this. It says, scholars believe to, uh, believe this to be the origin of the Wendigo legend. So that'd be kind of interesting if uh, maybe your characters that possess this, uh, be, you know, became the Wendigo. Or uh, maybe, mm. the, maybe the Wendigo is attracted to it or something, you know? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, there's, this is one of those items that I like because if you want to use this in a game, you can actually use it for any number of potential things. This isn't nearly as definitive as, say, a the Nair Lothotep idol or a Cthulhu idol. Mm-hmm. While it's intended to be an Ithaqua based item, well, it's kind of just sort of a funky distorted face that you could use for any number of things. 
yeah, there's no reason why this could not be some sort of uh, uh, totem for the uh, the Brotherhood of the Skin, or you know, some sort sure. of you sure, you know, type type of thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Or uh, somebody that uh, has like the spell for creating zombies might wear this to make them abil- the ability to control them. Sure. Right. Yep. Right. It's got a heavy Voodoo look to it. Yep. If you want to go Caribbean instead. You know, uh, ghouls transform from human into ghoul. Uh, maybe this was uh, some sort of component that, uh, you know, maybe it's a, an artifact of a spell to prevent that transformation. Uh, that, you know, if you lose it, then you mm-hmm. do transform. I don't know. Kind of tie it to something like that. Loss of humanity kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I like this one. It's only $15, and it's got a lot of potential use in uh, in games. We should mention, it's, it says it's fashioned for mammoth ivory, which is really super rare. We just want to say that no mammoths were harmed in the making of this totem. <laughs> no. Do not support the poaching of mammoths. No. 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 I will say, I'll go on record saying that mammoth meat, delicious. Oh, I, yeah, I can imagine. Probably, uh, yeah. It's like moose. Well-aged. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Got to get the fur out from between your teeth. But other than that, it's really, really good. Mm. Bestiary segment is covering Moon Beasts and the description that Lovecraft gives great grayish white slippery things which could expand and contract at will, and those principal shaped, though it often changed, was that of a sort of toad without any eyes, but with a curious vibrating mass of short pink tentacles and the end of its blunt, vague snout. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Adjective. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody was using that generator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that leaves lots of room for personal interpretation. Yep. I, I do like uh, the, the deeper... Uh, game descriptions, you know, for, for the Moonbees, how they're described as like torturers and uh, basically slave masters. You know, uh, typically, at least they're known to enslave uh, men of Lang. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can imagine that there's probably other uh, races, to include human, of course, but other other races that they enslave. And uh, the, the book talks about how the only weapon listed for them is a spear, but it says that there's any number of other technological devices or, or weaponry that they could have. So, um, you know, keepers should not feel restricted by any means to, uh, to just the spear. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I would say that it would make sense to take pretty much any weapon that you might find for Mego even, and just kind of describe 
the look of it may be a little different and say, there you go. And for me, since the, the, they explicitly do use the word torture uh, in their description, uh, I, I picture them with, with uh, just a wider range of cutting instruments, you know, knives and other things like that, you know, uh, hooks or something like that to, to pull flesh back or something like that. You know, it's just, you know, I don't see them using uh, lightning guns or, or mist projectors or anything like that, you know, anything ranged weapons. Um, to me, uh, Moonbeasts, they like wet works. They like to be up and close and personal. Right. How about a, a red hot, you know, iron poker or something, mm. you know, a, a brand that's actually yep. used as a hand to hand weapon. Oh my yeah. God. Something oh, that just you... kind of stays hot. Right. Can you imagine? Oh, see, I love having these conversations because I, I start getting ideas for, for, uh, adventure hooks or something like that. You know, what if your investigators keep coming across or, or they meet people that, that are, that have a strange tattoo or a strange with the brand. Yeah. With a, you know, or the, yeah, they are branded in some way. And you're like, what is that? Well, they're part of the, the cattle and they're part of the herd of, mm. of a certain, you know, one or more uh, moon beasts. And, and the investigators are next up on the list to be uh, uh, pulled into the fold, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. I was just going to talk about their habitat uh, that they are, they live on the dark side of the Dreamlands moon. And the dark side of the Dreamlands moon, unlike the real moon, is thick with forests and oily seas. It's kind of this swampy, marshy uh, area on the other side of the moon. Uh-huh. Yeah. Though I picture it still being the same color as the real moon. Pale. Or just lots of pale and grays and. Right. And just kind of not very healthy looking at all but being you know that other kind of environment i wonder if the dreamlands moon so the dream the real moon doesn't have isn't actually dark on the other side ever i mean it's well not ever it's It's just not 28 days right yeah it's just never pointed at us but yeah the sun does shine on it you gotta wonder about the dreamlands moon maybe that misconception that it's always dark uh is uh, might actually lasts. be yeah because you yeah. have group perceptions feeding <laughs> yeah mm. yeah that's a uh, very valid possibility i mean with the dreamlands who knows you know what it's like it you can a keeper can do pretty much whatever they feel like doing in that environment uh-huh. and it can work and one thing that I like is the idea of the the ships. Mm. That the moon beasts are actually kind of into commerce, and they using their slaves. They actually deal with other races, and it's just kind of an interesting thing that these ships, these black galleons, apparently are something that the moon beasts have designed and built. They travel from Earth's terrestrial dreamlands to the moon, so they actually fly through the the air in space mm-hmm. to get to the moon, which is kind of neat. Ether chips, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of star jammer for you. Sure, or star blazers. 
maybe they maybe they have World War Two, uh, you know, destroyers yeah. as well. Like, right. like be forever Yamato. Yeah. The yeah, the uh, yeah the the blending of moon beasts with. Star Blazers has is now a thing in my head that yeah. <laughs> I really need to see produced. That would be yeah. You mentioned the uh, uh, Moon Beasts as uh, uh, being in commerce and everything. I could see them as uh, like sultans, you know, uh, mm. concealing themselves uh, in in uh, uh, garb and stuff, and you know, uh, yeah, thick headdress and stuff, and then it, it falls away, and then there's this gibbering. Uh, moon beast pulsing thing. That's another uh, piece too. About um, we kind of glossed over is that their 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 makeup, their their mass. Uh, while it it typically holds this uh, simian frog like you know shape most of the time, it it is pulsing and it is um, pliable and and changes shape. They said it says quite often actually, so uh, that's another thing too that keepers might be able to leverage is the uh, pliability and the shape shifting uh, nature of a of a moon beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah that kind of makes me feel like they probably don't have a skeleton as such. Mm-hmm. Mm. That you know they're they're all just kind of jelly like, and it's more of will or just muscle that allows them to maintain any given shape. Yeah, so go ahead and shut and lock that door. Don't worry about that one-inch gap below the door. It's not going to squeeze through that. No, not at all. Yeah, that seemed to be a thing with Lovecraft. Like He really seemed to like things that could slip through small crevices so that you could not, Mm -hmm. you know, yourself against them this like expand and contract at will this seems to come up a lot there's yeah. another one that squeezes through holes and whatnot yeah it that is something that comes up quite a bit in his works of well he had such a kind of a fascination and terror of uh the sea that mm. a lot of the various creatures that are native to it you know like you know, squids and octopi kind of really freaked him out. So he used that. Yeah, I could see it. There's a lot of jellyfish uh, uh, core, you know, little building blocks of mm-hmm. jellyfish that are that are in the moon beast, you know, with the, uh, the whole uh, paleness and, you know, the tentacles and the shape-shifting and all that. I like that. Yeah. You know, I, I think people often go to octopi as inspiration but jellyfish also have that expanding and contracting you can kind of imagine this thing pulsing uh-huh you know moving through space like a jellyfish and that's exactly what they do they have that big hood that kind of undulates uh-huh yeah, yeah i like that well, yeah, uh, that from the dream quest of unknown Karath that i thought was kind of interesting that kind of caught my ear whenever i was uh, listening to an audio version of it one time is that with the Black Galleons, the um, men from Lang are the public faces of the crew. And there's like this underneath uh, part of the ship that's kind of sealed off that that's where the rowers stay. But they never come out and it they just man the oars. That's Moonbeasts. 
they're actually like the uh the the manual labor of their own ships. They're in charge and they're the masters, yet they're the ones who are also uh operating the the oars, which I thought was kind of an interesting. interesting twist. Yeah. yeah. And they like to but... trade in rubies. <laughs> Apparently. Rubies yeah. are a, a favorite uh part of their economy that they uh trade, which is really I, I kinda like that because the the ruby trade in real life is really seedy and kind of full of shady characters, so you could easily have a contact with a gem uh you know, an a black market gem merchant who is beturbaned as as described in some mm-hmm. of the stories and ends up being one of these things. Well, or a those man are of Lang. The men from Lang, yeah. Indeed. They wear right, a turban right. to cover up their little horns. But perhaps uh in the back. Right, right, right. Yeah, there might be right. this big lumpy thing that since these guys would probably walk really weird, I kind of picture them like what you said earlier with the Sultan where they're on this kind of thrown chair thing being carried uh, yeah, on poles. Yeah. yeah. And they would have, you know, maybe even, you know, apart from just the lots of fabric covering over them, you know, maybe even like remnants of a beard or something that kind of sticks out of the fabric as kind of a disguise. The beard wiggles strangely every now and then. <laughs> you know, you could either be comical with it of just, you know, a fake beard with a little tie that goes around the back of the head, or you can have it be someone's face that's been carefully cut off and then just kind of <laughs> placed there among the fabric. <laughs> nice. Nice. Which I that it, that takes it from being a silly concept of a fake beard into being, you know, oh my god, that is really, really nasty. <laughs> nice dark flavor there. Every once in a while, the, the tip of a tentacle might, you know, flash out, visible between the lips or maybe even out of a nose or something. Mm-hmm. A good spot hidden might spot something really just messed up about that that fat guy back there on the chair. Or perhaps <laughs> the face is recognized. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that's an NPC we used to like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look. It's Jackson Elias. Oh, right, my good friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he he survived into the dreamlands. Oh, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> oh, remember that Some guys just can't his... get a break. Yeah, remember that report of his grave being robbed? There he is. <laughs> Some of it. Uh, so typically, uh, since we're mirthless today, um, he typically goes over the uh, game stats. stats. I thought I might, yeah, yeah, I thought I might cool. fill that role. And you know, the the Moon Beast is is something that is, uh, you know, you could actually confront something like this. Uh, so the strength is a, a range of three d six plus six. Uh, the con is a range of two d six plus six. Size is could be. It's pretty. It's on the large size. Three d six plus ten. Your intelligence is going to be two d six plus nine. Pow is three d six, and Dex is two d six plus three. Pretty much all of those stats are within normal human range. So there's really nothing. Um, yeah. Almost you know, always at the upper end of it. 
Yeah, it, it, it's engineered to be towards the upper end, but not grossly over. You know, it's not three or four times uh, that of a of a human stat. Uh, so yeah. hit points, you know, are going to average somewhere around seventeen. Um, it is most likely going to have a damage bonus of plus one d six, or possibly even plus two d six, depending upon how your stats fall. Uh, and as we yeah. talked about earlier, uh, the book just outlines the spear. Uh, which again, this could be a, a a high technological device, which is more than just a pointy stick. I mean, it could have a lot of different um, uh, tools or, or uh, equipment onto it. Um, so, you know, create uh, keepers be creative with uh, what you equip your your moonbeast with. Um, this is the 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 interesting thing that I like also is the armor. Uh, it says it has none, but due to the to the peculiar body substance and arrangement uh, of that body, it causes them to lose minimum possible hit points from successful firearm attacks. So, you know, impaling weapons, uh, it seems, are going to do minimum damage, but uh, fire and blunt weapons, that kind of thing, I mean, you have a, you have a fighting chance against a Moonbeast. Uh, Moonbeasts do know at least 1d3 spells, so that at least means mm-hmm. you could have more. And sand loss is a, a zero slash one D eight. So Which having yeah. a zero on these guys is kind of odd choice. I know there's a lot of creatures here where they're really the, freaky the, that the minimum I would say at least still a, zero. a one or a two. Yeah. You know, maybe a one D two or something for a passing out the roll because these guys are really, really freaky and huge. Yep huge and you know the pulsing and all that yeah Mm -hmm. now with the armor thing you're saying you know the impaling weapons in general would be minimum it just it does specifically say firearms it does yeah so i don't have organs that are as easily maybe found or something by something as tiny as a bullet but a spear is a big long thing that actually is still present Oh yeah, I would think a spear would do normal, or even an arrow. But a bullet, sure. such a tiny thing that it may not actually do much. That's in That's theme, in theme with the um, Dreamlands anyway, where if mm-hmm. you have a gun, it may turn into a dagger, or you know, you have uh, crossbow or something. Yeah, yeah, your weapons turn into other mm-hmm. things. You know, and while Lovecraft primarily used them only in the Dreamlands. There is also the option to use them in Waking World. So mm. don't feel like these are restricted purely to Dreamlands. I would think or it'd be kind of cool to right. use these guys in possibly in place of Mego. They are an extraterrestrial species that give them some kind of spacecraft. Make it feel like a classic uh, like space alien invader thing with these guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. These might actually be great uh, Martian substitutes if you had a mm-hmm. uh, maybe a 1950s Call of Cthulhu uh, scenario and and the uh, the Martian tripods come to Earth. Maybe mm-hmm. they're moon beast tripods, you know. Mm-hmm. And actually, the way that uh, Wells describes the Martians actually kind of fits. They're kind of big and bulbous and globular with about the size, you know, the mass of a bear, uh-huh. and having, like, 
tentacle feeler things. It actually fits quite nicely. So I never made that connection before, but it works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, if you wanted to tie in earth earth hooks, um, the source main source of rubies for many many years has been Burma. So you've got a mm-hmm. you know which you've got other creatures like the chocho that are uh, that populate Burma. Yeah, which I kind of think of the chocho as the waking world versions of the men from Lang. Yep. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I could foresee. You know, they both kind of have that connection there i could foresee a, a tribe of chocho being uh, enslaved to uh to mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. moon beast traders the mm. uh rubies have recently been found uh on greenland with the receding shelf of ice so uh there's another place oh. you could, and a tie to potential tie to lang cool so yeah that's there's all sorts of stuff that can be done with these guys you know, they're, you're not going to have any conversations with them, but you also could give them an ability like a uh, telepathy uh-huh. type thing to, mm-hmm. if you wanted to really freak people out, you could have somebody with a conversation, you know, at well, least you, enough you, to, to get an mm-hmm. impression of hunger. Yeah. I mean, you figure mm-hmm. these, thi- these things have to have some way to communicate with their slaves in order to... Mm-hmm. Uh, get their points across, you know, and and maybe maybe that's also part of the torture is that maybe it's not a innate telepathy, but maybe they have to implant something in in a in a slave's brain so that they can receive the uh, the messages that they're sending telepathically. Yeah. What if their telepathy was actually an entire language composed of different kinds of pain? Yeah, that's that is an interesting idea. I like that. Right. So searing plus stabbing plus searing, kind of like Morse code, is uh uh, gather for instructions. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That's that really works. That would be cool in a horrible, sadistic sort of way. Yeah, that's terrible. And culturally, I guess that they serve Nerlethotep sometimes. Um, they are allied with the cats from Saturn, which is just what... <laughs> that's a very yeah. dreamlandsy thing. But that puts them... Uh, maybe Catfulu is a good, <laughs> a good mode to put them in. I'd love yeah. to see somebody run an actually dark version of Catfulu. Um, <laughs> and then there's this guy, Namqua. Uh, which is a bipedal saurian imprisoned in the center of the moon in the black lake of Uboth. Apparently the Dreamland's moon is, uh, has a chewy chocolate center. <laughs> ah. does. So Namqua is under there and they serve uh, him as well, potentially. Huh. So the moon in the Dreamland's is essentially maybe like an egg. Mm. Oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> That's actually a yolk in there. <laughs> yeah. It cracks open and Dreamland's Godzilla falls out. <laughs> Thanks, Easter Bunny. Bok, bok. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I think that... Uh, that 
wraps up that segment pretty well. <laughs> I did too. I, that's a that's a lot of uh, moon beast to chew on. <laughs> well, one, so to speak. Well, one, <laughs> one of the things one of the things that we should mention is that they they communicate with each other not in this pain <laughs> language but through flutes they use flutes to to uh talk to each other oh yeah um i didn't get is, that that's yeah that's interesting i would have thought it would be more of a sign languagey type of thing with their tentacles of course if they don't have eyes that makes sense that it wouldn't necessarily be a visual medium right yeah. It says actually uh, in the Dan Harm says uh, how the moon beasts perceive their surroundings is unknown, though they seem to communicate by playing flutes. <laughs> it just okay. makes me laugh. But out of Lovecraft and flutes, man, <laughs> he just like could not yeah. stand flutes. <laughs> yeah, flutes and sea life and well, uh, and basically anybody else. <laughs> Um, do you have yeah. queued up? Could we play the um, play oh, yeah. the moon moon beasts at a cocktail party? There you go. Creepy. Oh, that, that that was very creepy. Yeah. That was very yeah. creepy. Yeah, I put that together with some flute samples, just trying to imagine what it would sound like. Nice. nice. It also nice. had a little bit of a theremin sort of sound to it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Mixed in with a just a touch of humpback planet. whale. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it, and what they, they don't do, they don't play flutes normally. <laughs> they don't yeah. they don't they don't play it like like we play them. No. And one thing that uh, we're gonna do is in the show notes we're gonna have links to a couple of uh, sound files, including the one we just played, and another one that has uh, somebody in the background who is uh, being communicated with by the yeah, possibly movies. human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bit of human suffering in the if, background. Uh, we didn't want to play that one because it's uh, a little, <laughs> it's a little obnoxious. But it, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And we're also going to link to just a couple of Moonbeast images that we found online. Yes, like some really cool art so. for these guys. Yeah. <laughs> Settle down now, class. It's time for your next lesson. Alright. This is a, uh, a topic that was uh, asked about on the forums by Pirate Lawyer. And he says, As a keeper, I struggle to find map resources that I can readily convert for use in my games. Where can I go to find, say, a map of a deserted oil rig? an abandoned missile silo, a 1960s apartment block, etc. And so we decided to, each of us kind of picked a rough topic and found some cool map resources. Yeah, so what did you start with, Dan? So, now while it wasn't in his original uh, request, I thought that a topic to go with would be uh, really useful for games 
was uh, nautical. So both ships and uh, things like lighthouses. So I found a whole bunch of links to sites that offer deck plans for boats and ships. And so I've got some here that are from, like, the Coast Guard, actually. United States Coast Guard has a whole bunch of very cool, like, antique ship blueprints and deck plans, and even some artwork that gives a really good feel for a lot of different vessels of uh, different sizes, different uh, ages, and they even have, like, some uh, aircraft in here, like, you know, um, seaplanes. Mm-hmm. And, which is fantastic. A, yeah. useful. Yeah. Beautiful artwork and uh, would be very evocative. Yeah, the, the Coast Guard's really given us some very cool resources here that we can make a lot of use of for game stuff, including, you know, and we've got lighthouse uh, shots as well, where there's like one down towards the very bottom of the page where it's the floor plans of a classic lighthouse very nice oh that is cool oh they've also got uh lighthouse correspondence logs and some really nice primary documents that you can either use as props or inspiration yeah many of those correspondence logs though i'm sure are riddled with dear god get me out of this lighthouse (laughs) right (laughs) there's something in the basement yeah (laughs) The madness. The infernal light that won't turn off. Dear God, the hand. The window. The window. (laughs) The rats. The rats. Yeah, this is a a great uh, collection of documents, Dan. This is awesome for nautical stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's just a whole mess of ones on here. And there's no one I found that's got uh, steamship uh, deck plans and... You know, things like pictures that were taken on the inside. Some of these are steamships that are more like, you know, passenger cruisers that would be used in-game. Lovely, luxurious vessels that you can use to travel from one uh, uh, continent to another. Including there's a, see, here is a map for uh, ocean liner routes that's dated from 1888 to 1904. And just very neat resources here. So yeah, I had some fun surfing around and finding things. There's going to be a, a list of these links in the show notes that are going to be a nice uh, way to spend some time. I took on the missile silos. Um, and uh, I found several uh, images that will be in the uh, uh, in the show notes. Um, and to give a, a clue, you know, for these types of searches... I use Google, and what I'll do is, like for these missile silos, I did uh, missile silo or abandoned missile silo, or I might put in floor plan in the uh, in the search. And when the results come back, instead of, and this is just a tactic I use, instead of going with the, the web results so you just see a bunch of links, I flip over to the image side, and I just see all the images that are returned, and... Uh, navigate based upon the imagery that's uh, that's returned. That gives me uh, usually a, a lot faster navigations where I, I can zero in going, oh, this looks like something I might be able to use, you know, and go that way. 
So just a, <laughs> as a hint for, for if you're doing your own uh, online searches, uh, maybe utilize the image results. Also, if I could step in, you um, do not overlook the advanced search page of Google. You can do, you can yeah. actually, yeah, it's often better than a, uh, a pages, a, a website's native search function to go into there and put in the website to limit the, the search by website and um, do your search that way. Great tip. I was just laughing because I opened the last one, which is the, <laughs> the missile yeah. silo. For Buckaroo Banzai. That's totally yeah, cool. the Buckaroo Banzai's headquarters has been mapped out, including where they park the bus in the rocket car, and this is awesome. So cool. <laughs> Underground yeah, complex I haven't seen forever. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things, you know, because I had done, uh, I was checking the image results. Um, I was looking for images that had, you know, big uh, scale to them so I could, you know, see them more clearly. And as I'm going through the images, I saw this. I was like, hey, that looks a little interesting. And uh, is that a bus under there? And so I clicked on it and it said it was Buckaroo Bonsai. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to capture this. Absolutely. Yeah. So wherever yeah, you go, there you are. Beautiful. <laughs> yes. And why is there a watermelon in that machine? <laughs> <laughs> That's a movie I haven't seen forever. Totally. Yeah. Peter Weller. Amazing. <laughs> Before he was like the, the default creepy old man <laughs> showing up For in For me, Dexter he's now. always Robocop. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of stuff do you dig up, Chad? Oh, I, that's, I have ones too. Um, yeah. I chose a couple of generic resources that I really liked. Uh, one for uh, floor plans of houses. It's called House Mouse. And I think it's for people who are looking to buy vintage houses of a, of a certain era, but it's got a bunch of examples basically of different kinds of architecture houses. Um, so you can click on an 1868 Civil War reconstruction home and you oh, actually cool. get a floor plan. The resolution isn't always awesome, but it would be uh, of, of the images, but it's good for if you want to trace or sketch or, or, you know, look for plausible locations of rooms in various kinds of houses. From It's got everything from uh, 1834 farm plan house in France to a log cabin fort in 1908. Uh, all kinds of different styles that you can play with depending on what you oh. need. Yeah. I like the Swiss Gothic cottage. Yeah. The 1859 Circular House, <laughs> which is just kind of cool. Ooh, the the semi-Swiss Orne dwelling, 1871. It looks very um, uh, Munster or Adams family type of house. That looks really cool. Oh, complete with the cellar being planned out. Oh, that's always an advantage for our gaming stuff. Yeah, Although so we talked the, about... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, in the... You know, they always have like a, a drawing of the house itself, and then they have the floor plan. The drawing, it's clearly a three or possibly even a fourth story home if you count the uh, the, tower, the attic and stuff yeah. and the, the tower. Block, but yeah. but they only they only mapped out floors one, two, and the cellar. So there's other there's other spaces that uh, the keeper can map out. True, right? It's got a nice widow's walk on the top there. That's a really cool one. I like mm-hmm. that house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. 
So that's one, uh, just to get some some building styles. Uh, and another one is more of a map uh, kind of thing. Um, UNH has, uh, which is the University of New Hampshire, has um, some nice USGS maps of New England and New York. And I just thought these were, they're, and they're historical images, retro, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got lists by town. And if you open... Uh, or by state. If you open like the town index of Maine, uh, which is where I go first, and just go to any of these cities, um, let's go to my hometown of Bangor. They've got a, a map, various maps of different time periods. They've got one from 1902 uh, in four different sections, just as a JPEG. So you oh. can keep, piece those together. They've got one from 1942, one from 46, one from 55. So you can piece those together for your games. I mean, it's got, you know, so many New England towns. I mean, there's hundreds here nice. that are all image-ready. Huh. As JPEGs, easy to piece together. That is awesome. So, yeah, if somebody's planning out a scenario for anywhere in the general area of, uh, of Lovecraft Country, you're set. Mm-hmm. And New York. New York has a lot of maps online. We talked about the, the recently released map archive yeah it's just vast yeah and there's it, it these older places you know in new england they it's been built upon so many different times with so many layers that you've got a, a almost like a, a rapidly constant changing environment to play with mm-hmm. it's always nice to have various er- the same map in different time periods to see what developed because then you can use that to see what might have been plowed over and built over. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh-huh. there might have been a mansion in one map that doesn't appear, you know, becomes like a subdivision in another uh, later map. And then you could use that as like, well, maybe that cellar was just, you know, yeah. is still down there somehow. Or mm-hmm. um, So the other thing I did is because the original question actually covered oil platforms, I looked around for some some models and Koakai from the forum answered by showing saying that you could go to SketchUp, uh, the Google's 3D warehouse, and uh, just put in search terms, and you can actually get you know people who have made 3D models of things, and they're not exactly schematics or technical drawings, uh, but you can you know look at an overhead view of it and export it as a two-dimensional file somehow. We haven't figured out how to do that. You do have to uh, download some software to be able to see their SKP files. But if you can read .skp or figure out a way to do that, you can you can yeah. turn these 3D images into a map. Or just get a copy of SketchUp because it's free. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then, uh, John, you found a couple of oil rigs. I did. I did. Uh, you know... Uh, just did the oil rig search on Google, and I came up with uh, one that looks like a, a schematic, you know, a side uh, elevation schematic of an oil rig, so you can see the different uh, floors that are available uh, inside the the rig itself, and then you know, and then also, of course, the the drilling mechanics to go under the water. And I also found a map, just because once I started doing this little search, I was kind of interested in the in the topic i found a map of the gulf of mexico that shows a variety of abandoned oil rigs themselves out there 
it could just be the underwater pipes, you know, that are capped down there, or it could also be full rigs up, you know, above water that are abandoned. So it's kind of neat. There's a bunch out there, little yeah. bunch of little ghost towns in the water. Mm. Seven twenty-seven thousand abandoned wells, which is just you know they're holes in the ground, so it's hard to say how much of that would be interesting uh, as far as games, but it does mean that there's a whole field of possibilities as a keeper that you could just yeah. invent. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a whole lot of uh, deep, dark holes that have been drilled into the ocean floor. Yeah, a lot of wounds. Not that far the, away uh, from, yeah, and not that far away from uh, large population centers. Mm-hmm. And it sure. may not be far away from uh, underwater population centers, like deep ones. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Or kind of... Uh, or Yoth, you know, some of the cave, cave civilizations of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a lot of potential there. You know, it, oil rigs are just kind of a fun setting because it's all very industrial and metal, but it's isolated being out at sea. Even the relatively close ones are still at a distance to where I don't know if you could even see land with, you know, naked eye. I'm not sure how close they actually make them in but that's i mean i've I've been to the gulf of mexico i've been to the beach many times and at least in the areas that i've ever been if you look out on the horizon you could not see anything yeah i used to live on galveston island and i never saw any uh oil rigs out there just the uh the piers that you could go shark fishing off of (laughs) sweet yeah i didn't go in the water very much that was just a little (laughs) creepy you don't want to become chum. Yeah, a little kid, you know, and I had seen Jaws, like, in the theater when I was, like, five. So, yeah, I have a uh, healthy respect for my, not my native environment. Right. But... You're you're an air breather, and you want to stay that way. Yeah. <laughs> but oil rigs are, not only are they isolated, they're industrial, there's... Everything's made out of metal. You can give everything a nice description of the rust and the sea air, and then the weather is a whole other thing. Mm. You can have those beautiful, calm, still days, and then you can have just, you know, those hellacious storms that come through. Even just a normal rainstorm, I would think, could wind up echoing all sorts of strangely through an all-metal vessel Mm, like that. And metal is a great uh, uh, sound carrier, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, as well as the water. But uh, uh, yeah, what? Where? Where is that strange tapping sound coming from? Mm-hmm. That has an intelligent pattern to it. Yeah, oh, it's uh, originating from under the well. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's yeah. Something's tapping on the on the actual pipe going down. That's or that's one of different. The, or one of the girders, the, the structure girders that's holding the the rig up itself, you know? Mm-hmm. I seem to remember oil rigs figuring in a few different uh, movies or television shows. I remember yeah. Surface uh, series. The, there's oh. an oil rig scene. Cool. Which is a, yeah, kind of almost like a deep one or Dagon type of uh, setting. Oh. I remember the commercials for that, but I never caught it. So It's fun. It's network. You know, it's kind yeah. of like underwater lost you know, sort of. Uh, I might have of, to see if that's on uh, Netflix. It's, I, I, you know, it's fun. It, I, it's not something that blew me away, but uh, since it's horror and 
I like to have something in the background sometimes when I'm mm-hmm. doing you know, whatever menial stuff. Okay. Uh, do you, do you guys have any other hints on how to do effective? I mean, these are these were explicit examples uh, based on Pirate Lawyer's request, but in general, uh, uh, are there any other tips or tricks that you would give for for making these uh, online searches? Well, the the advanced search is one thing. Uh, the other thing that you might want to do is you can actually turn off Google's tracking of your own preferences, and sometimes you will find more unusual options that way because it is guessing your uh, what you like to see based on your history, but you can actually shut that off. It's not something you have to have on. So you can go to settings and undo that if you're using Chrome or if you're using, you know, if you're you have Google on in the background uh, or Gmail, any Google product, it will begin to track you. And if you shut those off, you can expand your results in a more uh, in a less narrow way because it's trying to narrow your results. Yeah. Okay, that's a great tip. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's trying to be helpful in giving you stuff that you might, you know, be specifically wanting. But with these mm-hmm. kind of searches, you're actually trying to find stuff that you didn't know existed. So you want right. to cast as wide a net as possible. And, right. And I don't know the answer to this, so I'm just, I'm just asking, and maybe it, it's a moot point, but uh, is there an advantage to using... Uh, different search engines like is there is Bing more superior for certain searches uh, as opposed to Google well here's what I would say is in in doing research variety is your friend so I use Google I use Wikipedia you know but it's it's always good to go a step further Uh, on Wikipedia always follow through and try to find sources um, the original sources yeah, but also with other use other search engines for sure. I mean, this it can't hurt, right? So I often have. There's actually a site where you can have Bing and Google search at the same time. Oh. So it, it'll return both. Um, I've there, never heard there, of that. Yeah. Well, yeah, because didn't they have that during the Bing? Bing. I, my understanding is that uh, they did despite, it on purpose. Yeah, yeah, despite all of their uh, uh, ad campaigns, nobody uses Bing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so they did, they started some sort of campaign where you could have the two search engines and search for, for one item simultaneously with both. And, uh, and if you, you were supposed to do it like four or five times, and then it would tell you of the two search engines, you know, based upon what you selected as a better uh, result, returned result, it would tell you which uh, search engine was, uh, was better for you. I did it one time, and, and it told me that Google won the uh, search challenge, but it said, but do try Bing again or something like that. In this case, Google won, but try Bing again. Right. <laughs> I took the Bing challenge and Google won. Yeah. Well, it's just about when you're doing research, I just think it's always good to have as many sources as possible. And both Bing and Google are trying, like you say, to be helpful in guessing what you want. And actually, that's super useful, right? I like I have that on most of the time. But when I'm trying to expand my search, I will go and shut off the um, the tracking stuff, or I'll even use a different browser just to you know to keep it from tracking. Yeah, yeah. or uh, I don't I don't know if an incognito window would help with that or not. It's still tr- 
Yeah, it does help. It does help, but it doesn't do all of the. Um, it doesn't completely remove its tracking. It's still doing the complete text thing. Um, so you have to go in and just change your settings. Okay. That's doable. Cool. There's also search engines for numbers, which, you know, in this case, uh, I use it as a journalist for uh, stats, for statistics and, uh, and that kind of thing. But you could certainly be using it for game research as well. Okay. Not, n- not looking for, like, the, the number 1,000, but <laughs> looking for a, uh, you know, a statistic about poverty of African-Americans in the 1920s or, you know, mm. um, oh, God, uh, census data is fantastic for games or anything. Uh, census data will, t- will give you all kinds of story ideas. Yeah, yeah. and not to mention Ch- lists of names to use. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. well, there you go. We'd love to hear from our listeners. we got lots of different ways you can reach out to us. Our main contact email address is feedback at mu-podcast.com. We also have a Twitter account at mu underscore podcast. And you can join our IRC channel on the feedback page of the website. We have a Providence, Rhode Island voicemail number, area code 401-400-0-MUP. That's 401-400-0687. Or you can use our SpeakPipe link located on the website. Ask a question, leave us a line, or say who you are, and I'm enrolled at the Miskatonic University Podcast. And give us a hearty go-pods for our home team, the Fighting Cephalopods. And our website is mu-podcast.com, and you can find our show notes for this episode at mu-podcast.com slash 57. That's the number, 57. Our forums are at mu-podcast.com forward slash campus. Come join the community and be part of the conversations. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Class is dismissed. The Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is property of Chaosium, Inc. The written works of H.P. Lovecraft are held in the United States public domain. All other works mentioned in this podcast are the property of their respective owners. Original content of this show is copyright of the Miskatonic University podcast under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. Uh, and I'm Keeper Chad. Hell, I was going to try to do that, and I didn't do that. So I'm sorry. We'd love to hear from our listeners. we got lots of different ways you can reach out to us. I am not on the thing yet. <laughs> <laughs> Dan and I are like, dramatic pause, dramatic pause, chat, jump in at any time. I was sitting there looking at an oil derrick. And <laughs> when you hear the kids at the lockers, that's when you go to the show notes. Uh, you know, it's ironic because I was that kid that when the bell would go off, I'd still be at my desk. <laughs> Ah... <sighs>